Um, hey, thanks for being here. Glad y'all are here. Welcome to RUF. Um, let me read our scripture for us, and then um, we'll talk about what we're going to get into. First John 4, 7 through 19. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can join together. And Lord, um, pray even now for families who are hurting, for people who are hurting. Think of the Siegel family. We cry out for mercy for them. For Robert's family, Lord, for Mary Bennett. And we pray and ask, why? And how long will suffering last? And we pray that you would comfort the Siegel family. Father, um, we pray now that as we turn to your word, consider the love that you have for us, that you would help us to see that there is no fear in love, that we do not have to be afraid if we are in Christ. And so I pray, even as we consider this topic of dating, that you would um, help us to see how our fears can be relieved um, and help us to see your love for us. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, y'all. Welcome to RUF. I'm really glad you're here. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here at Texas. And, um, you know, RUF is, it is not a place for people who have it all together. Uh, in Mark 2, 16 through 17, a bunch of religious people ask um, Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' response is, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so at RUF, we acknowledge that we are all sick. And even if you're looking around, you're like, but these people look like they have it all together. Like, that's part of our sickness. 
is that we even try to look like we have it all together. Because we're ashamed. We're ashamed of our sin. We're ashamed of our guilt. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus enters into our shame. He takes on our sin for us. And he loves people who don't have it all together. And he meets us in our fear, in our insecurity. And look, if anything like describes dating, it's fear and insecurity. Because dating is terrifying. And I'll give you an example of why dating is terrifying. My friend uh, Ryan Anderson, he's the RUF campus minister at TCU, told me this story. This is from like <laughs> someone from his ministry. This happened. This is crazy. You're not going to believe it, but apparently it's true. So this girl starts dating this guy, and um, it gets pretty serious, you know. And he invites her to come to his home uh, for Thanksgiving to meet the family. So she's going to go and, like, hang out with him and then um, leave, like, later, like, that Saturday or whatever. So they get up Wednesday, on Wednesday night, and the rest of the extended family isn't there yet. Now, this girl lives in Birmingham. The guy that she's dating lives in um, Massachusetts, like, high-class, like, Kennedy kind of neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts. And um, she goes, and the, the, first, the first night, the rest of the extended family there, it's just um, the guy, his mom and dad and sister, and their little, like, free-free dog that lives in the house. But it's just, like, the place where they're eating, like, this is a really nice house. Like, they have, uh, it's, it's, the meal is catered. There's even, like, waiters there and a cook there, and it's, like, this kind of big to-do, and there's, like, tons of plates and silverware on that she has no idea, like, how to, she's this girl from Alabama, like, I can relate, I'm from Alabama, like, that would be totally overwhelming. Um, and so, but she's trying, she's trying to act like she belongs, and she's trying to act like she fits in, and so <clears throat> they're about to have uh, the dinner, and she, she needs to use the bathroom. She's a little nervous, you know, and so we call it TT in the trap house with our kids, so she needs to go TT, and so she, um, she goes, and she's like, hey, um, excuse me, where's your powder room? And the mom was like, oh, it's right over there. And so she goes into the powder room, and the little, like, frou-frou dog is, like, still barking at her because she's not so sure about it. And the frou-frou dog is, like, walking into the powder room. She's like, oh, no, like, don't get it. And the mom's like, oh, it's okay. He just loves to follow new people around. And she's like, okay. So, like, it closes the door, and, like, the frou-frou dog and this girl are now in the powder room. And she turns and looks at the powder room, but the problem is, that there's not a toilet in the powder room because this is an actual powder room that's in this nice Boston house where you, like, you actually don't have powder rooms. But the girl is trying to be fancy and trying to act like she fit in. And so now she has this dilemma because she really has to go TT. And there is nothing there except for one of those like standalone sinks, you know? Like the ones that are, they're not attached to the wall, but it's just kind of there. So she's like... All right, fruit fruit dog, you and I are in this thing now. Like, this is going down. So she pulls down her skirt. She stands up onto the sink and reaches up to the mirror that is on the wall to pull herself up. And as she's doing it, the last thing she remembers is the wall, the mirror of the wall snapping and coming back to her. And then she just blacks out. When she wakes up, there is broken glass everywhere. Her pants are down at her ankles. The door is opening. She's bleeding. Everyone's screaming. 
because the mirror has landed on the frou-frou dog and it's dead. (laughs) And the mom is weeping and freaking out and crying. And she pulls up her skirt. The boy takes her by the hand. He says, I think we should leave. And he took her to the airport. And that was the last they ever spent time together. That's how their relationship ended. <laughs> that, that is what dating is like. Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Look, uh, so, but here's the thing. Our fear, our fear leads us to act like we know what we're doing. And like we have it all together. Just like that girl in that room. Like we're, our, our fear, it causes us to act like we're okay, to be dishonest with ourselves and with others and our insecurity. And we will do, our fear will lead us to do whatever it takes to make something work. That's what she was doing. I'll do whatever it takes to make this work, to make this night work, to make myself be okay. Our fear leads us to doing, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this dating relationship work. And what that often leads to is us feeling hurt and alone. Just like that girl. And the reason that is true is because dating relationships ultimately lack true commitment. They, they're just fundamentally, in the essence of a dating relationship, it, it lacks true and permanent commitment. Now, some of you may be like bristling at that, and that's okay. And if you want to debate with me afterwards, we can text or go get coffee or whatever and talk about this. But I, I want to explain what I mean by that. And I think it, what, what illustrates this well is the movie. Have you all seen 500 Days of Summer? Has anyone seen that movie? 500 Days of Summer? Okay. It's a great movie. Zoe Deschanel, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in it. Um, and Zoe plays the part of Summer, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt the part of Tom. And during their relationship, um, Summer has told Tom, you can't, like, we're not going to be, you can't fall in love with me. This is not going anywhere. Like, we're not putting any labels on this. But they just keep hanging out. They keep kind of spending time together and um, becoming more and more intimate together. And it's driving Tom crazy. And he finally says this, look, we don't have to put a label on it. That's fine. I get it. But, you know, I just need some consistency. And she says, I know. And then his response is, I need to know that you're not going to wake up in the morning and feel differently. Boom. There it is. That's the problem with dating. That's why dating is so hard. That's why some of you would say, dating sucks. Because how do I know that they aren't going to wake up the next morning and feel totally differently? There's no guarantee. It's why, it's why we cling to our, like if you start dating someone, we cling to it like with bloody knuckles, just like hold on tight because we're so afraid of losing it. It's why we get really insecure. It's why you like overanalyze that text message he just sent you and you're like, last week he was sending me three exclamation points at the end of his sentences and now it's just one. Where have all the emojis gone? You know, like, what, like, you just start overanalyzing it. Christy and I still have lots of emojis in our marriage. It's a great text relationship. Um, <laughs> look, I want you to hear me. 
I am, you're, I am pro-dating. I am for dating. I think it's great. I think it's great. But the, tr- the, the trick with dating is that the Bible never talks about it. It doesn't talk much about it. And it also doesn't, it, the Bible doesn't talk about dating being the problem. The problem with us and the way that we relate to each other. The Bible never talks about that. What the Bible talks about, the problem is, it's not some system or finding the right way to date or finding the right, you know, you need to kiss dating goodbye or you need to do courtship or you just need to, you need to do what, I mean, all these different theories and things like that. Look, it's not about finding the right system because the system isn't the problem. The problem is not what's outside of you, it's what's inside you. The problem is your heart. The problem is our heart. The problem with dating is our heart. And so, because of that, our sin drives us to fear and insecurity. And that's what colors our dating life. And what I want to look at tonight, I want to take a step back and try to make sense of dating. If you're a Christian, hopefully, hopefully tonight will help you see how, the, how actually the gospel, the good news of Jesus, informs your ability to have freedom in your dating life. And if you're not a Christian and you're here tonight, I'm glad you're here. We always want you here. And I hope tonight will help you make sense of what does it mean to be free in Christ? Or how could the gospel even inform, how could this person who lived thousands of years ago, Jesus Christ, this peasant carpenter man, how could that inform even my relationships now? And how could he bring healing into my life now? So uh, I just want to tip my hat to, uh, to um, a couple campus ministers who's, who I'm borrowing very a good bit from. Um, Les Newsom and Jason Sterling, both former um, RUF campus ministers at Ole Miss, um, they've been really helpful for me thinking through this. So, um, three points tonight. I want to look at how we date, the problem with our dating, and the remedy to the problem. Okay, how we date, the problem with our dating, and the remedy to the problem. Um, okay, so dating doesn't show up until, it doesn't show up in print until 1914. Did you know that? It doesn't show up in any literature in print until 1914. It is a modern construct. It is a new idea. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that it's not in the Bible. And so what we have to do when we're trying to figure out how to date well is apply biblical wisdom to that, to this cultural phenomenon called dating. Um, and I want you to think about this. You, you hear me talk, you've heard me talk a lot about this in our relationship series, but it's i got to say it again. You were made for relationships. This all starts with the story of the creation of man. Genesis 1, 26. God says, let us make man in our image. So what that means is you are made in the image of an us. Let us make man in our image. You are made in the image of a communal God. A communal triune, triune God who exists in community with himself in perfect love, as we just read in 1 John 4. And so what that means is that you were made for relationships and community. You were made for that. But not only that, even with, within the Trinity, you see that there are roles that the Trinity has in, in the relationship that the triune God has with himself. For instance, when it comes to salvation, the Father calls those to salvation. The Son, the Son comes to earth and he wins salvation for God's people on the cross. But also the Holy Spirit applies the salvation that Jesus has won on the cross to believers. 
So even within the, tr- the Trinity, you see that there are defined roles. And here's what I mean by, here's why I'm saying that. Every relationship begs for definition. It's, it's the essence of, of God and it's the essence of who you were made. That we are, we, every relationship begs for definition. And some of, like uh, most relationships, a lot of relationships in your life are very clearly defined. Parent-child relationship, that's a clearly defined relationship, hopefully. Professor-teacher relationship, clearly defined. But when you get into like, the realm of like friends, or best friend's friends, or girlfriend friend, are we in the friend zone? Are we, like, what is happening? Like, all of this gets very murky and hard. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it also, it, our, these relationships beg for definition, and, but it's murky and it's hard, and that's what, like, colors how we date. And this, so this is how we date. And this is, I'm not going to, like, this isn't all-inclusive, but this is just kind of the pattern of, like, what dating looks like, I think. You can correct me later if I'm wrong, in the, in the 21st century. So first, what happens is you, like, notice each other. Or, you know, he notices you, or she notices him, or whatever. You notice each other, and you start, like, low-key trying to, like, be around where they are. Like, maybe that's why some of you are here right now. <laughs> um, and then you probably start creeping on their Facebook profile or their Instagram. And when you go to their Instagram and, like, she has a public profile, you're like, yes. Don't have to, like, follow her and, like, hope to get the follow back. You just, like, creep away. Okay. Um, you put yourself in places where they're going to be. <laughs> this is hilarious. I, Chrissy's best friend, Sarah, she, like, her, she kept catching, uh, uh, her husband, her now husband, Rob, like, kept catching her eye when they went to Wheaton. He's this, like, big, burly football player. And so, like, they were in the lunch line, and she finally was just, like, tired. Like, he hadn't come up and introduced himself. And they're in Chicago in Wheaton. It's cold. So she just, like, dropped her mitten, like, on an accident. She just, like, dropped it and, like, walked, walked fast, <laughs> like, hoping that he would see it. And he's like, oh, excuse me, you dropped your mitten. She's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, this is what we do. And then, um, if, it's, if it gets really, you know, advanced, you maybe start texting or sending Snapchats to each other. And the texting ramps up, becomes more frequent. Maybe there's a Snapchat streak happening. Your friends are all aware of, like, your, your best friend status is, like, changing in Snapchat. And, like, what's going on with this person and you? Um, side note, gr- girls, if a guy ever just texts you, hey, like, don't respond to that. Just don't, like, just don't. Or maybe just say, hey, back, and that's it. Don't, nothing. Then, after that happens, um, we have the low-level public flirting. And the funny thing, like, you don't think anyone notices, but everyone notices. Like, everyone notices that it's happening. Um, It's becoming more frequent. Your friends even start to ask you about it. And um, then, then it happens. Then some sort of either formal or informal get-together happens. Like, maybe it's an actual date. Probably not. It's probably something like a date party or a football game or dinner with friends or going to places that you know they'll be. And you end up, but at some point in the night, you, you two just end up alone together and you're talking a lot. And that's what people start saying about you. They'll be like, oh, 
X and Y, like such and such, they're talking. It's like your next step, right? Like you're, now you're talking. Which I guess like, good job, way to go. You're conversing with one another. Um, but then the question that like drives you crazy starts happening. Everyone starts to ask you, are you dating? And you hate that question because you don't know. Are we dating? This relationship begs for definition. Like, I have no idea. I have no idea what we are. And so then it happens. The talk. We are going to define this relationship. We're going to sit down. And we're going to talk about it. And then after the DTR, people still have DTRs, right? Like, this have, like someone was telling me last week I had a DTR and they were all pumped about it. Awesome. Sweet. DTR. Um, but after the DTR, it's like free and okay to begin using formal terms. Like, that's my boyfriend, that's my girlfriend. We're dating now. And um, my friend Les tells a story about this girl coming into his office, and she sits down. Um, she'd been, like, talking to this guy for six months. And she's like, it finally happened. He's like, what? We had the DTR last night. We're dating now. And he's like, oh, well, that's so great. And he's like, can I ask you a question? Like, um, so what's different now, like today, that, wasn't, that was not different before last night? Like, what's different now that wasn't true 24 hours before? And she's like, well, now we're only dating each other. And he's like, you were already doing that, weren't you? Like, you were already doing that. And she, she's super confused, and he, and he finally says, look, let me make this simple for you. Suppose a month from now, this really great, godly guy who you're very attracted to, that you like a lot, asks you out on a date a month from now. What are you going to do? Like, what would you do? And she's like, I guess I would have to break up. Right? I guess I'd have to break up if I wanted to go out with him. And look. That's it. Like, that's the key. Because we act like after the DTR, like something has changed, that now there's this commitment that we are in together, that we have made together, that we are committed to each other. But you're not. I know some of you who are dating right now, you think you're committed to each other. You're not. You haven't made covenant promises to each other. You haven't been united to each other. You think that you're committed, but you're not. Dating dating is an exclusive commitment that is by definition not exclusive and not a commitment. I'll say that again. Dating is an exclusive commitment that by definition is not exclusive and it's not a commitment. So here's... Here's the problem with our dating, because what we end up doing by pretending like it's a commitment is we make dating into miniature marriages. We treat them like it's a miniature marriage. For example, the girl makes a plan to have a weekend getaway with her friends, and she doesn't tell a guy about it. And then when he finds out, he's ticked. How could you go and do that? I, was, I thought we were going to hang out this week. Like, 
what's the assumption behind that? That I have a right to demand your time. That I have some sort of say and some sort of control over your time because we're in this commitment. But the problem is, you're not. And so, he doesn't have that. He doesn't. Another example. You talk to somebody from the opposite sex at a party. You just talk to them. And they're, your, your significant other is livid about it. They are so mad about it that you would dare to talk to somebody else from the, from the opposite sex. What is that assuming? That you have the right to their attention at the party all the time. Or that you have the right about who they talk to and who they don't talk to. But the problem is you have not made any kind of commitment really to each other. And when this gets all wrapped up, what ends up happening is we assume, we assume that we have a right to somebody's time and attention. We begin assuming that we have a right to their body. This is why, it, this is why I think people have such a difficult time when they're dating with their sexual purity. Because you're acting like you're in a marriage. And, and what you do, what people do when they're in a, a marriage, like, newsflash, people in, who are married don't, like, make out on the couch for three hours. You move on from that. Okay? You don't stay there. Because that's what, that's what marriage is made for. It's to move past that. And so people who are in committed relationships, who are, acting like, who are acting like they're in a committed relationship that's a miniature marriage, what they end up doing is you end up wanting, you end up wanting something from that person's body that you have no say over. You have no control over. It doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. And you're not, you aren't theirs. You don't belong to them. You have made no promises to them, nor have they to you. Our insecurity makes us want to control things and do whatever it takes to keep it together. And this is why, this is why a breakup can really feel almost like getting a divorce. It really can. I dated someone for five years in high school and college. It felt like a divorce afterwards because you treat it like a miniature marriage. Um, so what if... All right, here we go. What if instead of dating with demands, like we said, what if instead we said, you know what, it is such a privilege to get to spend time with you. I don't know what's going to happen with us, but let's enjoy the time we have with one another and see where this goes. I have no say over you, and you have no say over me. We've made no promises to each other, but let's enjoy each other and see where this goes. Here's what I'm telling you. Because you've made no commitments, you have freedom. And not only that, because you, if you're a Christian, if you have Christ, you have freedom. You have freedom from fear and insecurity. What I want for you is for you to stop putting demands and expectations in a relationship that isn't a marriage. Like, quit playing, like, quit playing marriage. Quit, quit playing married. Be free from that. 
Or go get married, maybe, if you need to do that. I can perform marriages. I can. I'd love to do that. Anyway, um, <laughs> side note, side note. Um, and I, I actually, I think this is important. Um, I added this last minute. But, like, dating is for the purpose of marriage. It is. And so I do think that you, I think that you should only date people that you think you could maybe marry. But that doesn't mean you have to know you're going to marry them before you ask them on a date. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, guys, you don't have to know for sure before you ask her on a date that she is going to be your future spouse. Like, just go ask her. Guys, just go ask them on a date. But you know why it's hard for the guys sometimes to go ask them? Like, A, guys, like sometimes you just need to man up and you need to ask them on a date, okay? Put that on the table. But also, girls, when he asks you on a date, he isn't asking you to marry him. Like, maybe the reason he's scared to ask you on a date is because as soon as he does, like, you and all your friends are going to act like you're going to, like, start playing baby names or something, right? Instead, like, it's okay. Like, he, 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 he's interested in you. That's fun, but be chill about it. Like, don't Netflix and chill, but be chill about it. Um... Guys, like, you seriously can just walk, like, walk up to the girl. And remember, every relationship is begging for definition. So be clear and just say, like, hey, I think you're really awesome. I'm going to give you a pickup line right here. You ready? Here we go. Hey, I think you're really awesome, and I'd love to get to know you better. Would you be game for going out on Monday night? Who doesn't want to hear that? He thinks I'm awesome. He wants to get to know me. He'd like to go out. That's it. Don't have to sing or do any like have a ring or anything like that. The ring would be a nice touch. No, don't do that. Um, look, honesty is so helpful. It's just helpful. It just is. I remember. So Chrissy and I, we kind of dated twice. Um, the first time we dated, we were talking. We did the whole process. The whole th- that's like that, that was our story that I just read to you. Okay, so we did the whole talking date party. Blah 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 blah, and. Um, it, <laughs> we had a class together. I'm driving, we went, we went to Vanderbilt together. I'm driving back to like Towers, the, the dorm where we lived in. And like, um, Christmas break is coming up and I'm thinking like, I don't want her to like, like it, y'all, we were awkward. It was not, it was not going well. Okay. Like we were just awkward together. I don't know. It's weird. We just were like, we weren't having fun together. And it's true. I ask her. And so, um, we're driving back to Towers and I'm just like, I don't want her to like be wondering why I'm not calling her on the phone anymore and like just be like, you know, getting on, a- we used to get on instant messenger on America Online or whatever, like we get on AIM and wondering like why I'm not showing up and chatting. Um, sorry, that was such a dated reference. But sh- so I was just like, hey, look, <laughs> I was like, hey, so obviously like I've been like kind of pursuing you some, but I just want you to know that I'm, I, I think I'm going to stop. And... <laughs> I just think that, like, it would be best if we um, just, like, hung out with other people and, like, got to know each other as friends, and, like, I'm just going to stop. And she was, like, she was like, I feel the exact same way. I was like, great, have a great Christmas break. But, like, and we just, we, like, kind of laughed about it, and, like, she drew, I dropped her off, and she, like, goes into her dorm. I was like, huh, 
she's kind of cool. It's like, it's like the first real conversation we ever had. It really was. It was the first time that I was authentic with her, and she was authentic with me. And you know what? Honesty is just so helpful. So senior year, I, you know, I got a kind of date. We did. We dated other people, and like senior year rolled around the next year, and asked her on a date again, and like we had just gotten to know each other. We'd been friends, and the, the second first date was like, boom, there, there it is. Like, oh yeah, let's hang out and talk till two in the morning, get to know each other, and like that was it. It was, it was that was it. But it was because we had just, like there was some honesty. Just be, be honest with how you feel, and like ask them out, guys, if you want to, or don't, and say you're gonna stop. That's fine. What just happened? <laughs> okay. The Astros just score. Is that what that was? Um, okay, last point, and this will be a quicker one. The remedy to our problem. How can, we have, how can we have this freedom that I'm talking about? This freedom to be honest, this freedom to risk being known and to be known. And I think that, I think what, what we have is the remedy to the problem of our heart, of our insecurity and our fear. Um, some of you, have, I've told this story about doing this with Lucy. I just started doing this with Georgia now. So we have, we have four kids, three girls. Lucy's four, Georgia's three, and Betsy is 11 months old. So I do this with all, I'm going to do this like lesson with all of our girls, and I did this with Georgia last night. Take her, bring her into our room, put her on the bed, kind of kneel in front of her. Georgia, does daddy love you? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, that's right. Yes. Good. Georgia, why do I love you? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, pause for a second, and she goes, because I'm pretty. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I think you're pretty, but oh crap. Right? Crap, like, she thinks that she has to be pretty for me to love her. So this is what we practice now. Sat around the, we have this whole script that we go through now. So Georgia, does daddy think you're pretty? Yes. <laughs> is that why I love you? No. Does daddy think you're smart? Yes. Is that why I love you? No. Does daddy think you're fun? Yes. Is that why I love you? No. Georgia, why do I love you? Because I'm your girl. That's what she says now. Because I'm your girl. I know it's the best. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, look, what this passage is saying in 1 John 4 is the reason that God loves you. It's not because of any condition. It's because you're his. Like, your fear and your insecurity of not being loved and not being known, you can lay that to the wayside. Because he fully knows you. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, what, what John says, is he says, verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God. It's not that we loved God and then he was like, well, okay, since you've like accepted me into your heart, now I will save you. Mm-mm. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave up his son for you. So you can be free from your fear and insecurity. 
So much so that in verse 18 he says, There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. So you don't have to bring that fear and, and put the weight of being relieved from your fears onto a relationship. A dating relationship that cannot hold that weight. It will fail. It can't. A marriage can't hold that weight. It can't. The only place where you are going to experience that full and unconditional saving love. John says you can be confident on the day of judgment in verse 17. You have confidence on the day of judgment that Jesus has earned that for you. You can be confident that he loves you. And so because of that confidence, you can actually go into your dating relationship with freedom. Freedom to not have to treat it like a mini marriage. Freedom to not hold on super, super tightly or wonder like when you break up, am I going to be okay? Because your hope is not in that person. It's not. Jesus has won that hope for you because he loves you. You, Believe in him, you're his. You're his girl, you're his boy. Loves you. It's the freedom I want for you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your love that does cast out fear. I pray that you would help us to experience the freedom of knowing Jesus, the grace and hope that he offers. And we pray and ask all these things in his name. Amen.